Our passage this morning on this Easter Sunday is from the good news according to St. Luke, the 24th chapter. Let's try to give it our attention as our children head out. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. But has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray briefly. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gospel, for this good news of your resurrection. Give us the power of your spirit that each heart and mind and life that is in this room would be encouraged by your spirit this morning to hear the good news, to believe it, to receive it, and to be changed by it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, has any, anybody else besides me have sleep problems? Anyone ever? Man, I have a hard time sleeping. I'm rolling around. I, I, I will tell you I was excited about today, so I had a hard time sleeping last night. Uh, I, every 10 minutes I woke up. But this is, this is regular for me. And it's frustrating. You're sitting there, it's, it's in the middle of the dark. All you want to do is rest. Your mind is racing and you roll over and every once in a while you fall asleep and you look up and you think, oh, I'm awake again and it's only been 10 minutes. And you're like, well, that must not have been very renewing and restful. It's dark. It's night. It's tired. It, you're tired. You're a little, bit, a little bit unconscious, a little bit conscious. You're stuck somewhere in between. And it's an awful feeling. So imagine, and I asked for permission to share this story with you, by the way. Totally, totally fair. My wife is excited for me to share it with you. Imagine then, when on occasion, if my wife has had a stressful day or week, when I'm finally around three in the morning, you just get there. And you, you know, your conscience slips away, and you're finally in sweet sleep. And then suddenly, you hear a terrified voice screaming at the top of the lungs next to you, get out, get out of here. And then you jump up and you hope she's not speaking to you. And thankfully she's not. She's yelling at the door. And I'm like, what is it? She's like, it's an intruder. I'm like, really? And I run over there, you know, and there's no one. It's just a night terror, right? Scared in the dark. One time even she has, we have this little thing hanging on our, on our wall next to the bed uh, where you can dangle like hundreds of necklaces on it. And one time she jumped up and she said, no! And she ran over there and grabbed that thing and threw it across the room. 
stuff went everywhere. And I was like, what happened? She was like, one of my kids was hanging from the wall and I had to save them. I was like, that's not what happened. (laughs) Well, that's a funny story, but it is true, right? That we are vulnerable in the dark. We are vulnerable at night. We are vulnerable trying to sleep. Isn't life sometimes a little bit like this? You are longing for rest in your life and you can't quite get it. You find that you're still half awake all the time. And then you wake up during the day and you're still half awake because you didn't get good sleep and you kind of in a daze. Sometimes it can feel like you wake up and you're not sure if you slept or if you're awake, you feel a little confused. And I think life can be like this for us sometimes, like we're sleepwalking. For a moment, there's this hopeful, fleeting dream. For example, we see some light, we pursue it. Oh, maybe I got into a good college, or that was a really kind of awesome first date. I think I'm going to get that promotion. The pregnancy test was finally positive. We look for these things, and yet we find that still so much of our existence is this murky area where we're half awake and half asleep, that we're still in the darkness. We still are longing and don't have satisfaction. We have fear along with our hope. We're confused. The darkness of war and pandemic and cultural or interpersonal hatred, loneliness and fear. This first Easter, it says that they went to a tomb. They're heading to a tomb, a place of death, where they understand that all life ends. We're all heading there. They go there in early dawn, in the twilight, in the murkiness between night and day. They are half awake, in the half light, heading to a tomb. And we're going to get there, but I want you to hear. Do you know what it feels like to live half awake in the half light? I said to somebody Friday that I didn't keep a very good Lent this year. And it's partly because we've been living in Lent for at least two years as a people together. Half awake in the half light. It says, on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. I want you to hear it again. They were going at early dawn in the dark, carrying spices to sort of spice up the death of the person that they thought was going to bring everlasting life to them and to all things. This feeling, see, this feeling like them of coming to the end. They've seen their Savior, their Messiah, their hope crucified. They've seen his light be extinguished. And now they know what to do. Just go hang out at the tomb to try to spice it up a little bit, to make it smell better, to mope, to perhaps wake up and do it again and again, morning by morning until they could pull themselves away. These women came to the tomb alone early. There weren't any trumpets on that first Easter. No family and friends gathered together, no children laughing or playing games, no beautiful hats or lovely flowers. On the first Easter day, there were only women who were alone and couldn't sleep. They couldn't sleep because their hearts were broken. And so they walked in the dark to a graveyard to mourn. And I want you to hear just for a moment that this is the important entrance into the Easter story. That all of those who have followed Jesus, who have sensed something in him of life and light and renewal and what humanity was meant to be like and to do and to experience, 
They'd tasted of the shalom that Jesus was bringing in his beautiful renewing and reconciling kingdom, and yet they followed him, and he led them to his own cross where they watched. And the women were at the feet of the cross, and then they watched him buried. And they're coming here, here to embalm him. Jesus wants us to walk with him to the cross as the doorway into the Easter story. See, at this point in the story, they are still Good Friday people, except for they didn't know it as good. They'd fallen to the cross. They were simply still half awake in death and darkness people, people with maybe a faint memory of the hope he'd given them, but had come to a sudden terrifying halt like the world had shut down and they were locked in darkness, out of control, stuck and afraid. And all of their plans and hopes had come to a full stop. There was despair. God, why? There was terror. Are they coming after us next? The apostles are locked in a room. There was confusion. This is not how it was supposed to be. This is not what we signed up for, Jesus. There was waiting. What now? What's a meaningful life after this, anyways? And they huddled together in the solitude and the silence of their helplessness. I think we know this experience in our own ways. A theologian and writer that I respect, David Bentley Hart, is one of the smartest people on the planet. He talks a little bit about the existential aspects of our ideas of heaven and hell, that they're not just uh, perhaps ideas about the afterlife, but also experiences that we have. Jesus called it like the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, that we can experience tastes of heaven and hell. And he says this, I believe in hell in the sense of a profound and imprisoning misery that we impose upon ourselves by rejecting the love that alone can set us free. I believe, in fact, that I have on occasion experienced that hell from within its walls, so to speak. He's talking about life in the half-light, life in the darkness, living not in love but in this terror on Good Friday. He said practically all of us go through life as prisoners of our own egos, Hence, a secret that we all too often hide from ourselves is that we walk in hell a little bit every day. We might ask questions like, why are we here in the United States, the most wealthy, educated, safe, powerful, pleasured, large-scale society in the history of the world, and we are known almost exclusively more and more for our fear, our anxiety, our isolation, our hatred of the other, our cynicism and our despair. Why does life often feel like a living hell if we have all of these benefits? Jesus wants us first to walk with him, to see where all of our work and our hopes and our half-light leads, to walk with him to the door, the, walk with him to the cross, to the death and the darkness. And I want you to hear this again just for one more moment so that you can understand the good news again this morning. In the darkness that covered the cross at midday on Friday, we see just how much need we actually have. We see that we are not even just sleepwalking, but in some sense we are dead in the darkness. And right there in the cross, in Jesus going to the place that would have faced us, the place that we fear, the place that we know all life eventually ends and there's nothing after it, there in the darkness we see God himself in the person of Jesus, a human being just like us in all of our own vulnerability and confusion going to the cross. 
Hear this. In Jesus, God came to identify with us, to be with us, to take on the entire human experience with us. In Jesus, God came to embrace even the worst aspects of human experience so we would not be alone. That means there's no boundary of pain or exclusion or estrangement or despair beyond which a human being can pass that Jesus himself has not gone to. He was so willing to identify with us that he went all the way to death. He wanted to go with us even to the fear and the terror and the intrusion that is death. We know we want life. We were made for life. We do not want death, and yet there is the certainty of it, and God entered into it with us, into this absurdity of death, and felt the human condition all the way down to our bones and to our souls. And you've heard of it. He was a holy one, nailed naked on a cross between two criminals, condemned unjustly. And this is an unspeakable mystery that we Christians believe. God, in whom all is created, was hung as if he were a sinner on the cross, cast out and destroyed, but he did that so that we would never have to fear the dark. We would never have to be afraid that we are alone and no one will protect us in the dark and in death, that Jesus has passed through it and conquered and been victorious, and he knows. He wanted us to walk with him to the cross. We do it again for a moment this morning so that it might become for us a door the door to something new and beautiful on the other side of the door, on the door. And all great stories have a surprise ending, and so it is no less true of the great story, the good news, the Christian story. They go to this tomb, half awake in the half light, confused and terrified. And they find these beans there in the tomb, but no Jesus. And they say to the women, think about it. It's just a hint. It's a clue. It, you don't even hear it the first time you read it. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Wait, what? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. They had no idea what this meant. Later, we're going to say, look, this is the good news. It's a crucified dead man who came back to life. It is a king who suffered and died for his people and then was resurrected. It seems so strange, perhaps too good to be true. No one's seen Jesus yet. They went to his tomb looking for a dead body. And right there, at the end of all things, they found a promise of new life. That already in the darkness, in the half-light, new life had begun. They went there and they couldn't find proof of God's death or of Jesus' death, though they'd seen it. There was no dead body to be found. There was now only an empty tomb where he should have been in this promise. He is risen. Why are you looking for him here? And suddenly you might imagine they haven't seen him yet, but there's this weird, suspicious, burning hope inside. What? What's happening? What's going on? Is he, what does it mean to be risen? What does it mean living? Maybe, no, maybe someone stole him. Is this a cruel joke? Wait, wait. 
I remember those things he was talking about. Remember those strange metaphors? He was talking in parables and metaphors and stories, and he said something about destroying a temple in three days, rising. What, what What could this mean? It says all the women went and told these things to the apostles, and to the apostles these words seemed to them like an idle tale, and they didn't believe them. An idle tale can be translated uh, nonsense. Insanity, a tall tale. We might think of it in your dark, in your sleeping, you have some fantastical dream that seems too good to be true, like flying, and you wake up and you're like, yeah, right. It kind of felt like I was flying, but I, you know, I can't do that in real life. It's an idle tale. But Peter, intrigued, rose and ran to the tomb. He stooped and looked in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This, friends, is the good news. We have to walk through the door, into the darkness, into death. And when we follow Jesus there, knowing that he is guiding us, that he has gone there, he has conquered, there is nothing to fear, there in the half-light, sleepwalking, while it is still dark, he tells us life. Life. They didn't know it yet, but they had woken up that morning to life unexpected new life, a resurrection life, that they would spend the rest of their days under the sun learning to try to recognize this resurrection life, learning to expect to break in again and again, learning to live out within themselves by the power of the Holy Spirit, resurrection life in new ways. I remember in college, um, I joined, I was really lonely because I went to a, a big city and a university that had like 60,000 undergrads. And so I didn't really know anyone. So I did something I, I you know, didn't ex- imagine doing, which was I joined a Christian fraternity, which is just as silly as it sounds. Uh, I didn't want to be in a fraternity, but I was like, oh, it's a Christian one. They'll be real nice. And I, I just need to make friends. So I did that for a year. Uh, it was called Beta Upsilon Chi, which is a, a weird English acronym for Brothers Under Christ. But one morning when I joined, I'd signed up, and then the next weekend, these people bust into my dorm room while I'm asleep at 6 a.m. in the morning and wake me up and they're like, come on! And I don't, they didn't put a bag over my head or anything quite that dramatic, but it felt like that, you know? They ran me down the thing, they're all gruff and intense, and they take me into a car and they drive off, and I'm like, okay, I know this is the Bucks guys, but man, I thought this was like a Christian fraternity. I think it was going to be all that like hazing, you know, like bro, frat bro stuff, Right? And so I'm kind of terrified that they're going to like, you know, haze me or do whatever stuff. And in the surprise, they took me and all the other uh, new people to a beautiful breakfast that they catered with pancakes and all kinds of fun. And it was just a big hijinks. Uh, It was just, just fun, you know, good college fun or whatever. It wasn't what I expected. I was woken up and surprised to find something beautiful instead of something to fear. And something of that playfulness is happening here. Don't skip it. We're gonna just reflect on it for a moment together in the text, but also think about your life. Think about your life as we come towards, Lord willing, the tail end of a pandemic and all that we've been through and all the suffering that we've experienced as individuals and as congregations. Imagine that the God of the universe is into fun little hijinks and clues and pranks, that he's playful, that he's got laughter, that he's willing to give a warm embrace to his people. Here's a hint. He doesn't just show up and say, let me explain it all to you. Take down the doctrine. I want to make sure you get it right. He's not there. The angels tell him. 
They leave this clue. They have to run around. Is he really here? They're, they're, where's he going? Then he shows up in a room one time and he disappears. And you never know where he's going. They just know that they're intrigued with this new hope and this new possibility that there can be new life. Easter then. Easter is the celebration that God came into our world, into our history, and through one single human being overturned death. That death is not the end. It is not the last word to human existence. It is not the last word for our world. Jesus came right in the midst of death to bring new life, new joy, new happiness. He raised him from the dead. And this means not only that his resurrection happened, but that every resurrection is possible. That your physical death is not the end for you. The death of those you love, and some of us have lost loved ones these last couple years, that is not the end for them. It means that if the world were to be eclipsed in darkness and death, it would not be the end even for this world, but instead the beginning of new life. It means that any situation or relationship or community that is burdened by darkness and death and hatred has a chance of a future for new life and reconciliation and redemption and resurrection. And when we talk like this as Christians today, it has to sound like tall tales and idle talk. Especially if we don't live it out. If we just say, hey, let me tell you the good news, right? Christ has died, Christ has risen. Yay. But in our dark times, in our dark world, in the half-light, when people are confused, when they are terrified, they read the news all the time, they experience animosity walking in the streets. They're scared to go on the subways. What if while it was still dark, there is new life even today? What if it starts again this morning in this room and many like it all around the world? What if we are in the darkness, but a sun is rising? Can you again this morning believe the good news that we can wake up even in our slumber and our confusion? That we wake up to life. Moment by moment, will you wake up to life? I want you to think about waking up to everlasting life in the resurrection. We're talking about physical death. We're talking about the people that you've lost and will lose. We're talking about sickness and death and decay. Again this morning or for the first time, can you stop seeking life from among things that are dead? And look for life where it truly is, in and through Jesus Christ, God's Son. Esau Macaulay is an African-American Anglican priest, a professor at Wheaton, and he writes regularly for the New York Times in his column this week, titled something to the effect of what Good Friday and Easter mean for black Christians. He says this, and I want you to hear it. This is about the final resurrection. We believe that one day the entire created world will be transformed to become what God always intended it to be, free of pain, death, and sorrow. It will be an earth that still contains some of the things of this life. In other words, this is resurrection life he's talking about. Listen to it. It will still contain some of the things of this life, food, art, mountains, lakes, beaches, and culture. There will be hip-hop. Can I get an amen? Spirituals soul music and grits with cheese, salt, and pepper, not sugar. His words, not mine. In the renewed creation. 
Christians believe that our bodies will be resurrected from the dead to live in this transformed earth. Like the earth itself, these bodies will be transfigured or perfected, but they will still be our bodies. Friends, this is your future. Jesus has secured it. Believe it again this morning. Receive life, laughter, joy. And can you let it give you hope, not just for that final darkness, but for our dark days, for our dark world? Will you wake up to resurrection life now? See, the first question that every person is usually asking about faith is not, hey, is Jesus God? If they're asking the question, our friends and neighbors, they're usually asking, can God be trusted? If there is a God, is he for us? And the resurrection is God's definitive yes and amen. God can be trusted. I will turn every one of your crosses into life. I promise you. And the kingdom of God, resurrection life, waking up to life now, then, is largely about learning to see, to hear, to touch, and to taste when new life is already here among us. That's what Jesus said, the kingdom of God is among you. That the reason Jesus is here now to give us new life for you, for me, for one another, and for the world. If this is true, you can say things like, I'm so afraid of being alone, but Jesus died for me. He is risen. Death is coming, but his sting is gone. Hallelujah, he is risen. The enemies have nukes. He is risen. The stock market is crashing. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. I hate the reflection in the mirror. Jesus loves me. He is risen. I'm so ashamed, but he delights in me and calls me his beloved son and daughter. He is risen. This sounds like an idle tale until there are people who believe it and live it out one for another. Friends, we've been under the cover of darkness at the tomb together, spicing things up for two years. It's time for you to hear again the news that he is not here in this place of death any longer. Christ is risen. And he is out there. And we can follow him and go out and find him meeting us in meals, behind locked doors, in our sleep at night, as we walk with people in the subway, begin to cultivate a resurrection imagination. What if we were known as a community that was awake? Acknowledges all the death, acknowledges the cross, acknowledges the pain, goes with Jesus to be compassionate with our neighbors, suffers with them, but then looks one another in the eyes and looks our neighbors in the eye and say, and yet, he is risen. He's given me new life and I will share it with you. What can I do? David Bentley Hart, in closing, said this again, not just about hell, but about heaven. When we see darkness, terror, death, even there the dark is not darkness to God. Death has been turned to life. This is the quote. A secret that we all too often hide from ourselves is that we walk in hell every day. There is though yet another and greater secret too. We also walk in heaven. Also every day. This too we occasionally see, though usually only in rare moments of spiritual wakefulness or imaginative transport. Redemption then must consist ultimately in a conversion of the heart so complete that one comes to see heaven for what it is and then also comes to see precisely where one had formerly only perceived the fires of hell 
to perceive the transfiguring glory of infinite love. The love of Christ never fails. And so let us, by God's grace, wake up to life again this morning. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.